Let's take our Bibles and turn over to the Old Testament book of Jonah this evening. I had started back some time last year to go through some of the minor prophets and um, and then other things got in the way. And so I'm just wanting to come back and look at another one of the minor prophets this evening. And so we're going to turn over to the Old Testament book of Jonah. As God brings him to your mind, you'll need to be in prayer for Isaac this evening. Uh, he's uh, heading home to Cleveland, got a five-hour drive this evening. I didn't think we'd see him tonight, but he told me he wasn't sure if he was going to come to service tonight and then drive to Cleveland after the service, but I guess that's what he ended up deciding on doing, and uh, it's always good to see Isaac when he pops into town, and, and uh, also good to, to have met Sarah, who's also just landed a job with the Leadership Institute, and, um, and this is her second Sunday that she's been here. It's good to have her with us again this evening also. Book of Jonah is probably one of the most ridiculed and mocked books of all the Bible. Skeptics over the ages have used Jonah as a point of contention with anyone who would dare believe the Bible. And uh, the mockery that has gone towards the, the book of Jonah has pretty well known no end over the years. I remember just a few years ago watching Bill O'Reilly while he was still on Fox News interviewing uh, Pastor Jeffress from First Baptist in Dallas. And, and uh, Bill O'Reilly brought up Jonah as an example that you can't believe the Bible literally. You can't take the Bible literally. There's just so many things in the Bible that you could never believe literally. And uh, it was an interesting back and forth conversation that day. It's just, it's, it's the fish story, the, the joke, the mockery of the, of the big fish story. You know, I, I remember years ago uh, when I was teaching uh, the minor prophets in a Bible college in Canada. And I was uh, early in my ministry and doing a lot of digging in the Word of God uh, to be able to teach it. And uh, I remember... Uh, working on the, the book of Jonah at that time and, and learning things I never knew uh, about the uh, things around the book of Jonah. And I, I remember reading some historical information about uh, a, a sailing uh, vessel that was out whaling, I believe in the Atlantic Ocean, and uh, they harvested a whale, but not at, at cost to their crew. They lost a couple of crew members uh, in, the, in the ocean in the process of, of uh, killing the whale. And uh, they, they brought it uh, up along by the ship and they began to harvest the uh, blubber. And uh, eventually they opened it up and they, and they took some of the entrails out with, with block and tackles. And they brought the stomach up on the deck of the ship. And all of a sudden the stomach began to make odd movements. And they cut the, the stomach open, and lo and behold, they found one of the sailors that had washed overboard during the um, process of capturing, of killing the whale. And the guy that uh, they, he was, um, he was alive, but he was uh, kind of mad, you know, he was, he was just uh, in a weird emotional state, as you might imagine would be expected after spending several hours in the belly of a whale. His skin was bleached and blotchy, looked leprous uh, with blotches of, of white, and uh, he survived, but uh, I don't know that he was ever the same again, uh, mentally and emotionally, but he survived. You know, there's a number of stories uh, in history of 
people either being swallowed by a large fish or uh, fish that had uh, mouth and, and, and throat uh, cavity size uh, plenty large enough for a human being to be swallowed by a fish. And yet the mockery of the story persists in spite of, of historic evidence that it's not really unbelievable at all. Now the Bible does say God put the fish in the right place at the right time. He prepared that fish for a purpose and that's where the miracle comes in. But for a person to be swallowed by a whale is not supernaturally miraculous. It has happened in history. It has been documented in history. But certainly it was miraculous that God prepared that fish to be at the right place at the right time to do what he needed that fish to do in the purpose and plan that he had. And uh, as a result, we have this very interesting story of Jonah. I want us to focus um, uh, on two Sunday evenings on Jonah. We're going to look at chapters 1 and 2 this evening. We'll look at chapters 3 and 4, Lord willing, next Sunday evening. And uh, next Sunday evening, we're going to really see the purpose of the book of Jonah. Uh, we're, we're going to learn something from Jonah in the first two chapters uh, that will play into its purpose for why God gave us this book uh, that we'll learn, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday night. This evening, I want us to learn that, that God knows best, and we have to learn to trust him. We have to learn to trust him. He always knows best. Trust is a major part of the Christian life. We know the word trust and the word believe are twin sisters. The, the, the idea of, of putting confidence in God, of having faith in God, of of trusting God. This is foundational, the Christian experience. This is the essence of how we got saved. We put our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary as a substitutionary atonement for our sins. And it's our action of putting our trust in him from a heart that has, uh, that has come to the end of itself and we can't trust ourselves. And so we turn from our sins, we trust Jesus Christ, and he saves us. And then that introduces us to a life of faith. And we go from faith to faith, and we, we, we live by faith. Uh, the just become just by faith, but the just also live by faith, the Bible tells us over and over again. And so trust is a foundational part of our Christian experience, and really uh, it is one of the great lessons of the book of Jonah. Uh, you, you've Probably most people know the name Blondin associated with Niagara Falls. He was the... Um, the guy, the famous tightrope walker back in the 1800s that would walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls uh, to, the, uh, to the shock and dismay of, of people. He crossed it numerous times, 1,000-foot trip, 160 feet above the raging waters of, of Niagara, and, and he would cross that, walk across it, even push a wheelbarrow across. But the his, history tells us that, that one day a little boy was just, just mesmerized by Blondin walking across this tightrope across Niagara and then pushing a wheelbarrow across it. And Blondin saw the look in the boy's face. The, 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 he was bewildered. He was uh, amazed at what he was seeing. seeing and, and Blondin reportedly asked the little boy, said, do you believe that I could push the wheelbarrow across with somebody in it? And you know the story, don't you? The little boy said, oh, yes, I, <laughs> I believe you can do that. And see. So Blondin asked him to get in the wheelbarrow. Of course, that, that's another story. Uh, he, he, he wouldn't get in the wheelbarrow. Uh, he believed that Blondin could do that, but he didn't believe it enough to have belief or faith or trust or confidence 
to get in the wheelbarrow. I would say that the little kid probably had more sense than Blondin. I don't know. But, uh, but it, was a, it was an, has been for, for all this time, it's been used and referenced, pointing back in history as an example of what real faith is. Not getting in the wheelbarrow is the evidence I really don't have confidence. If I really have confidence, I get in the wheelbarrow. That's what I did with Christ. And I found him to be trustworthy. I found him to be worthy of my confidence and my trust in him. Blind trust at times, having confidence in him. Do we trust God? Do we really risk handing over the controls of our life to God and trust him when he leads us to do something. That's an important uh, question in the Christian experience, the Christian life, and certainly a major lesson in the book of Jonah. And so this evening I want us to see Jonah and see uh, how his trust in God came into being. Um, Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom after the kingdom of Israel, after Solomon's day and the kingdom split into the northern and southern kingdom. Jonah was one of the prophets to the northern kingdom. On this uh, next slide, just to give you a, a sense of that, um, the northern part of, is, of, of what the whole country we call Israel, but at that time it was split into Israel and Judah, and Israel was to the north and Judah was to the south. And Gath-Hefer is mentioned, Joppa is mentioned, Tarshish is mentioned, and Nineveh is mentioned in the book of Jonah. And Jonah was a preacher. He was a preacher to the people of the northern kingdom. And God uh, gave him an assignment. And his assignment was to take the message of God's love and forgiveness to the people who lived in Nineveh. And we know that Jonah, rather than going to Nineveh, out of obedience to God, he went down to Joppa, got on a boat, and he went toward Tarshish in the exact opposite direction of what God uh, told him to do. Now, what's behind all that? God gave him an assignment, something God wanted him to do. He didn't do it. What was behind all that? I want you to think with me in terms of what goes through our minds when God gives us an assignment. When God tells us to do something in life, what, what brain waves go through our mind in the process of analyzing God's instructions to us? And I want you to see, as you see on your little sermon worksheet tonight, three brain waves that, uh, that may go through our mind. The first brain wave is thinking that I have a better idea than God's idea. God's told me what to do. God's got an idea of what he wants me to do. But, you know, I think I have a better idea. We, the book of Jonah opens up by telling us that the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was a very wicked city, uh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, the most powerful empire on the face of the earth at the time. The enemy of most any other world nation, world power at the time. They were a vicious people. History records the atrocities that they committed against the people that they subjugated. The, the brutality, the sheer physical brutality and uh, uh, um, 
treatment of people was off the charts, worse than Rome, worse than Egypt. They, they were known as the most vicious people. And, and they, that empire of Assyria's capital city was Nineveh. It was the seat of their government. It was the, the focus. It was the, the, the place where this uh, viciousness and atrocities came from. And God gave uh, Jonah an assignment. He said, I want you to go and I want you to cry against it. The wickedness of those people had uh, come to God's attention, had come up to God, and God sends Jonah. Now, if you just glance over chapter 3, we'll come back to this, Lord willing, next week. But chapter 3, verse 1, we see a little bit more of what was, in, what was included, what was uh, entailed in that verse that we just read in verse number 2. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach. Unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Now, chapter 1 doesn't tell us what God bid him to preach. He just said, Jonah, go cry against it because their wickedness has come up before me. Uh, when God spoke to Jonah the second time, God revealed what he, or, or it's revealed not in the word of God, what he had told Jonah to preach or what to do. And said, preach the preaching that that I bid thee. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three days journey. It would take you three days to go through the city or around the city. It was a huge uh, metropolis area. Jonah began to enter into the city, a day's journey. He went into the heart of the city, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The message that God gave to Jonah to preach was a message of God's judgment, that they had forty days and at the end of 40 days, God was going to destroy the capital city of the great Assyrian Empire. So God gives Jonah a job to do. And we know the story. We know that Jonah decided to do something else. And so verse number 3 tells us of chapter 1 that Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish. We see from the map, that's the opposite direction. Jonah got up and he went in the exact opposite direction, of the direction God told him to go. And... Uh, and the Bible says he went unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. Went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarsus, paid the fare, went down into it to go with him unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. Now this is an important statement, phrase, from the presence of the Lord. Some would, would take that in a very simplistic manner and say he wanted to get away from God. He wanted to find somewhere where God wasn't. He wanted to leave the presence of God in his life. That doesn't seem like that's a rational understanding of that phrase in light of a number of other passages. Now, I'm not going to take time this evening to turn to them, but I gave them to you in case you're ever interested. The essence of his disobedience was not a desire to get away from God, but the passages that I've placed there under essence of his disobedience and reason for his disobedience has to do with, with uh, his understanding and knowledge as a preacher in that culture and at that time. The, um, Jonah, as a prophet of God, knew God. And it is assumed, although it's not stated, that he knew that, that God is omnipresent. You can't get, a preacher knows you can't get away from God. The book of Psalm 139 in verse number 
7 declares that if, if the psalmist said, if I go here, behold, thou art there. If I go here, behold, thou art there. If I go to the grave, behold, thou art there. If I go to the sea, behold, thou art there. A preacher knows God is everywhere. That's the character of an omnipresent God. It does not seem that what prompted Jonah to go in the opposite direction is to think that he could find a place where God didn't exist and he could escape God in his life. And so the presence, from the presence of the Lord uh, is more reasonably understood in light of some other passages I gave you there from 1 Kings 17 and 18, 2 Chronicles 29, where the Bible speaks of a prophet or a preacher as standing before God. That, that was a, a phrase that was used in a number of passages, that their, their role as a preacher is they stood before God and they represented God. And they came to the presence of God. And it spoke of their calling. It spoke of their position in life. And based on some of those other passages of Scripture, it seems as if Jonah was quitting the ministry. He had been a preacher. God had given him assignment to go preach to the people in Nineveh. He said, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm quitting the ministry. That is more a more likely understanding of the phrase that he was uh, seeking to, um, to go from the presence of God, uh, that he was leaving the, the purpose for which God had called him in his life. Uh, the, the verbs of action in verse number three indicated determined effort to, uh, to resign. To, to, he, he was throwing in the towel. He was, he was avoiding the purpose and plan of God for his life. He was going down, 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 away from the calling of God upon his life. And, and that, that was the essence of his disobedience. Not that he could get away from the existence of God, but that he was no longer going to be a preacher for God. And so what would cause him to do that? What would be the reason for Jonah's disobedience? What would cause him to want to quit the ministry of his calling to preach the word of God? Well, the only hint we have of that is in chapter 4 and in verse number 2 where, where Jonah ends up saying in the middle of the verse, For I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow of anger, of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. God had told Jonah, you go preach to Nineveh and tell them they got 40 days and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy Nineveh. And Jonah knew that gave them 40 days to repent. That gave them 40 days to come back to God. And if in that 40 days they came back to God, God would repent of the evil that he was going to do to Nineveh. God is a merciful, gracious God. You say, well, why would a preacher not want people to respond to his preaching. Why would a preacher preaching to an unsaved person, giving the gospel, calling someone to repent and trust God, why would that preacher not want the person they preach to to respond to the message? Well, again, there's, there's history, there's, there's context to all of this. Preachers knew, the preachers of that day knew that Assyria was destined to do to the northern kingdom of Israel what they had done to people group after people group after people group. That is to come in, slaughter, 
persecute, torture, and annihilate the people of Israel. There are references, I gave them to you in different places. I gave you some references in, in uh, Nahum, in Isaiah, in Hosea, in Amos. Uh, different places in the Old Testament where Assyria was, was destined to be God's tool to punish the northern kingdom of Israel for their apostasy, for their falling away from God. And Jonah, it would seem recognizes that there are 40 days. And if they don't repent in that 40-day period, God's going to destroy them. And if God destroys them, we're off the hook. They're not going to do to our wives and our children and our sons. They're not going to do to our neighbors. They're not going to do to our cities in Israel what they have done in other cities all over the area. We will be free from the atrocities of Assyria if God destroys them. And so it seems that the reason for his disobedience was that he wanted God to punish them in order to save his own nation. And so Jonah, given an assignment by God, says, I've got a better idea. I'm going to let God destroy Nineveh, break the back of Assyria, to save my own country, my countrymen who I love. It may be that we ought to put Jonah on the level of Moses who said, God, kill me in place of the people of Israel. Paul, God, if I could be accursed, my brethren after the flesh might be saved. I'll give up my life that Israel could be saved. Maybe we ought to put Jonah up there in the ranks of the heroic patriots who so loved Israel that he was willing for, for, him, for himself to be disobedient, to not fulfill the will of God for his life, to suffer whatever consequences will come into his life by God, punishing him for his disobedience in order to save his own people. That, in my opinion, and in the opinion of, of a number of, of, uh, of Bible scholars, uh, it is the reason behind Jonah's disobedience to God. Jonah had a better idea. And he wasn't going to do what God assigned him to do. He was going to do what he wanted to do with regards to where he would go rather than Nineveh. Now, that leads us to a second brainwave. So Noah, or Jonah gets in the boat. He goes down to Tarshish, goes down into the boat, gets down to the bottom of the boat. They set for sail across the Mediterranean Sea. Here's a disobedient preacher sailing the exact opposite direction of where God sent him, leaving a whole body of people without the opportunity to repent, without the preacher coming and preaching the truth of God. And so, so the second brainwave that I see as I study Jonah is that Jonah discovered that he, didn't, he did not have a better idea. Because no sooner than he'd gotten out into the water, verse number 4 says, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And I like that phrase, sent out. Uh, it, it's pretty graphic. It, it, it pictures God like, like you would see uh, an action figure throwing a lightning bolt. It pictures God. He hurled that great wind onto the Mediterranean Sea. 
This is a distinct act of God to punish Jonah for Jonah's disobedience. And Jonah quickly learned that his better idea wasn't a better idea afterward. That he could not quit on God and not pay a price that was pretty significant for him to pay. Uh, the storm was, was a, a powerful storm. It began to uh, break up the ship. The ship was like to be broken. It was on the verge of being broken. The, the mariners that operated the ship, that were carrying the cargo, they fought to keep the, the uh, ship uh, together and on top of the water. Uh, they, they began to pray to their gods. Every mariner prayed to his own idol, to his own god, trying to, to find out how their god could release them from this horrific, horrendous storm that had been cast on them. And finally, one of them, as you know the story, went down and woke Jonah up. Jonah was asleep, sleeping through it all. Woke Jonah up and, and said, Jonah, who are you? Uh, what are you doing, O oh sleeper? What's your name? What's your country? What's your people? What's your profession? Who, who are you? Are you the cause of this horrendous storm that's taking us down? And, and so they confronted Jonah in, in verses uh, 4 down through, really, verse 16, the narrative, a uh, very interesting narrative. And they wanted to know if Jonah was the cause. And Jonah admitted that he was. They asked him his occupation in verse number 8 and where he came from, what country, uh, what people he was from. And in verse number 9, Jonah admitted, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. You'll notice the word Lord's in all caps. That's your hint that that is the word Jehovah in your Bible. Uh, I fear Jehovah. You worship your God, you worship Baal, you worship Astroth, you worship Chemosh, you worship whatever God and idol you worship. Well, I fear Jehovah God, the creator of heaven and the one who made the sea and the dry land. And that caused the mariners to be filled with fear. The Bible says in verse 10, they were exceeding afraid and they said, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because of what he had already told them, their previous conversation when he got on the boat. So we've got this narrative unfolding. Uh, Jonah says, hey, uh, the only way you're going to escape and save your own lives is to throw me in the boat. This is my fault. This is God. I have found out that I didn't have a better idea after all. God's got my attention and uh, God's judging me. You might as well just throw me overboard. That's the only way you're going to save your boat, save your own lives. Throw me overboard. The mariners didn't want to do that. They had a, a, a human spirit, if we could say it that way. They didn't want to do that to Jonah. And so they continued to try. And when all else failed, they finally prayed that they wouldn't be held accountable. They threw him overboard. And, uh, and when they, verse number 15, they took up Jonah. They cast him forth into the sea. The sea ceased from a raging. When the men, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They feared Jehovah because they saw what Jehovah did, they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. So the narrative of chapter 1 ends with a calm sea and Jonah sinking to the depths of the Mediterranean Sea. And a group of mariners having come face to face with Jehovah God and seeing that God means business when we don't follow his ideas. Now there's a, a third brainwave. The first brainwave... Jonah says, I got a better idea than God. I'm going I'm to do it my way. Second brainwave, I don't have a better idea than God. 
I can't, I can't escape God's dealing with me. The third and final brainwave is that he had to learn to trust God's idea. How is he going to learn to trust God and accept that God's idea is the best idea? And what God wants is going to be the best all around. Well, that's what chapter 2 is all about. Actually, it begins in the last verse of chapter number 1. The Bible says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly. Now, chapter 2 records information about two prayers, two distinct prayers that Jonah prayed. And, and, and as, as you read chapter 2 and, and you, you follow the narrative of, of what is conveyed in the scripture, you begin to see there are two prayers. One of the prayers is not, the, the prayer that was prayed is not recorded, but it's referred to. The prayer that is recorded was the prayer, the second prayer that he prayed. The first prayer that he prayed wasn't recorded, but he references that prayer. Chapter 2 references these two prayers. One of the prayers Jonah prayed while he was drowning. And the second prayer he prayed after he had been rescued by the fish. The fish wasn't the judgment of God. The fish was the salvation of God. The judgment of God was he was dying by drowning in the depths of the Mediterranean Sea. God was killing Jonah by drowning. While he was drowning, he prayed. God answered his prayer and sent the fish to rescue him from drowning. And so he prayed while he was drowning. And then after God answered his prayer by having a fish swallow him, he then prayed and thanked God for the salvation he had experienced, the salvation from death that he experienced by God answering his prayer. Now, let's look at this uh, as this unfolds. In verse number uh, 1 of chapter 2, he's, he, he prays. He's in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. While he's in the belly of the wish, fish, he prays to the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. He references a prayer that he had prayed previously. I cried is in the past tense. While he's in the fish's belly, he begins to pray. And in his prayer, he references a prayer that he had already earlier prayed. In the past tense, I had cried when I was drowning. And, uh, and he speaks of that. Uh, he speaks of how he had cried out to God. Uh, and God answered him. Verse number 3. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, the earth with her bars was about me forever. He was dying. He was at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, wrapped in seaweed, 
the depths of the sea, dying. And then he said, yet, thou, yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. See, he had prayed while he was drowning. He had prayed for God to help him, to save him. And that prayer is not recorded, it's just referenced that he had prayed that while he was drowning, and God answered that prayer. What can we learn from this? Well, listening, learning to trust God's idea involves, first of all, when I come to the end of myself. Verse number 7, he said, When my soul fainted within me. Notice the crucial timing. Learning to trust God's ideas begins when I come to the end of myself and I faint before God. And Jonah did that. He came to the end of himself. He knew he was dying. Why is it that I have to wait till God spanks me before I realize that my idea wasn't such a great idea. Why is it that as a human being, I, I have to think I got a better idea, and it's not till I get spanked by God that I come to the end of myself, and I realize that my idea wasn't so hot after all. When I come to the end of myself, and then the second step in learning how to trust God is that I come to the place where I'm willing to cry out to God for help. God, I don't have the answer. And I cry out to God. Verse number 7 goes on to say, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came in unto thee. That was the prayer that he prayed that's not recorded. The prayer he's referring to that he prayed while he was drowning. Before the fish swallowed him. While he's in the fish... Saved from the judgment of God, he's reflecting back to the experience of drowning and the prayer that he prayed when he came to himself and he cried out to God for God to help him. And so verse number 7 says that his prayer came up unto thee into thine holy temple. He had to pray and seek God for help. That's what he's referring to back in, uh, in, in chapter in verse 2, uh, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, thou heardest my voice. And so he cries out to God for help. Then there's a third part of learning that, uh, to trust God's idea, and that is a commitment. Once I come to the place where I realize my idea wasn't so hot after all, and I come to the end of myself... And I turn to God and I say, God, help me. I made a mess. God, would you help me? And I cry and plead with God for help. What follows that is a commitment. God, God did save him. God sent the fish. The fish rescued him from drowning. He's now in an air pocket in the belly of a fish, saved by the merciful hand of God in response to his prayer for help. And that fish is bringing him back to land where he can pick up where he got off track. And so he begins to reflect on the life that he's going to live. And he says in verse 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. He's got a thankful heart. 
He's thankful for the fish. The fish saved him. The fish was his rescue. And he's thankful to God for rescuing him when he cried out to be helped while he was drowning. But notice verse number 9. He said, I will pay that that I have vowed. I, this is a commitment. This is the guy that threw in the towel and said, I'm not going to do what God called me to do. This is the guy that quit because, and, and, and we fill in the blank, the Bible doesn't tell us, and so speculation begins. My speculation is that he quit because he wanted God to destroy Nineveh. Because that was his only salvation for his own countrymen of Israel. But regardless of what the, the real motivation was, he, he disobeyed God. And now he's making a commitment. He's making a vow to God. I'm going to do what I vowed to do. What could that be? Well, we don't have to read far to find that out. We'll see it more next week, Lord willing. But in chapter 3, he, he went and preached. He went to Nineveh. Went, went a day's journey into the heart of the city. He, he preached about sin and repentance to a really wicked, ungodly group of people. And it would seem to me then, reading between the lines a little bit, that when he said, I will pay that which I have vowed, and what he immediately did was go preach to Nineveh, that while he was in the belly of the fish, analyzing where he got off track, analyzing what had happened when he quit, for whatever reason, analyzing how that he thought he could get, get, get just as far away from the place that God had sent him as he could get, and, and he would find peace there, analyzing all the things that had transpired, just about to die, and then God miraculously saving him from drowning, and as he, in the belly of the fish for three days, he had, he had three days and three nights to think, he had three days and three nights to pray, he had three days and three nights to analyze what, what happened. What, what, and in that time, he made a vow to God. And as soon as he got out of the fish, he made a beeline to Nineveh. It would seem that that's what the vow was. God, I'll do what you told me to do. I promise you, God, I will do what you told me to do. And he made a vow to God that he would keep. And then one final thing is that he thanked God for his deliverance. Verse 9 also says, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. He was thankful to God for rescuing him from death and granting him life. When I read the book of Jonah, of course, the, the fish story captivates the mind, all the kids' stories, the videos, the, all the imagination runs wild with this, this amazing fish story. But at the heart of this fish story is a disobedient Christian who thinks he has a better idea than God's idea. And he learns that his idea isn't such a hot idea. And then he has to learn how to trust God's idea. And that involved coming to the end of himself because of the judgment of God. That's where the spanking comes in. The spanking of God that brings me to the end of myself. The turning to God for help. God, I blew it. God, I need you. Committing to do what God originally told me to do. God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to Nineveh. And thanking God for not killing me in the depth of the Mediterranean Sea. And one last thought. 
In verse number 9, verse number 8, Jonah in the belly of the fish, talking to God, made the statement, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Boy, that is an interesting verse. That, that's, that's, a, that, that's a cup of coffee and uh, a piece of biscotti and uh, a half hour to think kind of a verse. What does that mean? Why is that in God's word? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire that to be written? At this juncture, in the fish's belly, for three days and three nights, analyzing where he got off track in, in obeying God's idea, he makes the statement that those who observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Boys, I chew on that, think about that phrase, that, 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 that verse, that sentence. I, I think of how Jonah in the fish's belly had a decision to make. God's idea or my idea? Am I going to get out of this, this fish and go to Nineveh and do what God told me to do? Or am I going to persist in going in the opposite direction and thinking my idea is better? And he realizes that the mercy of God follows the one who responds correctly to God. And I will lose that mercy of God if I insist on my idea. And he calls his own idea of fleeing to Tarshish, he calls that a lying vanity. That's an interesting phrase. Uh, when I see a phrase like that, I, I, my mind, I start to dissect it. What is vanity? What is a vanity? It's, it's, it's not a sink in a bathroom. What is a vanity? What is something that's vain? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about vanity. It's not hard to discover what vanity is. It, it's something that doesn't fulfill the purpose that God designed it to fulfill. Uh, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Life under the sun is vain. Uh, when there is no God directing me, I don't fulfill the purpose for which God created me. And so then my life is vanity, vanity, and everything's vanity. He calls his own idea a lying vanity. It's, it, it, I'm going to not fulfill the calling of God on my life by lying to myself and convincing myself I have a better idea. And he called it a lying emptiness, a lying vanity. And he said, if I persist in this, I will forsake the mercy of God in my life. Boy, Jonah learned some tough lessons in the belly of that, that whale for three days and three nights. He wrestled with God with a thankful heart. God had rescued him from death, saved him from drowning, sent a fish to keep him from dying. He was being judged. And, and while he was drowning, he, he prayed and, and, and he called out to God. And God heard his prayer and God answered his prayer and prepared the fish, sent the fish Captured him from drowning, saved his life. And so Jonah says in, um, in verse number 9, he ends verse number 9 by saying, Salvation is of the Lord. God saved my life from destruction. God saved me from drowning. And I'm glad that I came to the point that I knew that God's 
idea is a better idea. So throughout life as Christian people, learning how to trust God is a key part of our lives and our experience with God. Jonah provides for us an amazing picture in the Old Testament of someone who thought they had a better idea and went through a horrendous experience that almost killed him in the process of learning how to trust God's idea instead of his own. That becomes the prologue to a much bigger lesson. And it's the lesson that God loves the entire world, not just Israel. And that's the point of the book of Jonah. And learning how to trust God is the prologue that brought Jonah to the point where he could learn that our God is a loving, compassionate God for the entire world. Aren't you glad God loves everybody? He doesn't just love the people that speak your language. He doesn't just love the people that has skin, the color of your skin. He doesn't just love the people who came from the same part of the world you came from. God loves everybody. And Jonah had to learn that the hard way. And that's the main lesson of the book of Jonah. And we'll see how God unfolds that, Lord willing, next week in chapter 3 and 4.